Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today is Adam Siegel. Adam, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for inviting me, Henry. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Adam's here to share his very interesting journey from earning a degree in aerospace engineering, like a real rocket scientist, to co-founding a retail technology company that's supporting what's called circular fashion. We'll explain what that is. And he's going to share what led to co-founding that business, which is called Recurate, and how they're helping brands support and facilitate the resale of their fashions. If you want to receive more information about the Howa business, including the show notes page for this episode and how you can continue supporting my show and receive workshop discounts, join my monthly group coaching session, all through a Patreon membership, just visit thehowabusiness.com. Also, wherever you're listening to this episode, if you'll subscribe, make sure you don't miss any new episodes that I release every Monday morning. So let me tell you a little bit more about Adam. Adam Siegel is, as I said, the co-founder of Recurate. Recurate is a tech-enabled resale service that empowers brands and retailers to establish their own integrated resale platforms directly on their e-commerce sites. And that supports circular fashion, the reuse of fashion. As you may have heard me talk about uh, many times on this episode, this is an interesting topic to me. My daughter is is, uh, in the vintage clothing business, so I understand that need and that more than really a trend, but that desire, especially for younger consumers to, to recirculate fashion. So the brands that he's worked with, um, this, these are just some of the names that stood out to me, but he's worked with numerous brands, including Steve Madden, Michael Kors, Christie Sports, and many others. Prior to founding Recreate, Adam was a senior vice president of innovation, research, and sustainability at the Retail Industry Leaders Association, where he led their tech center for innovation and retail sustainability initiative, along with its research offerings. His role at RILA, that's the Retail Industry Leaders Association, was to accelerate the next phase of innovation and growth for traditional consumer brands. So as I mentioned, he's an engineer with an MBA from MIT Sloan School of Management. And so Adam previously consulted for numerous companies in the retail, transportation, and energy sectors. He has experience with government and nonprofits like Environmental Defense Fund, and he has worked with the private equity firm KKNR and their portfolio of companies. He lives in the Washington, D.C., Baltimore area. Adam Siegel, welcome to the show. Again, thank you, Henry. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. Uh, great background, interesting background. Of course, you know, as, as everybody I'm sure notices is you studied this thing called aerospace engineering, and then you didn't go into aerospace engineering, did you? No, I I didn't. Uh, but that's right. You know what? What young boy growing up in the '80s and '90s wouldn't want to be in aerospace engineering? So, I pursued that path uh, up until um, just after grad school, where I transitioned into business. Why? <laughs> what a question. Well, uh, I'm always and have always been a very big picture thinker. Um, but the the work that I did in aerospace was um, 
very specific. Uh, it's an industry for which projects are multi-billion dollars, multi-decade, and everyone who works on a specific project, whether it's to design a new airplane or spacecraft or a uh, mission to wherever you can imagine, um, has a very small role in such the large project. And it just, it never really sat right with me. In fact, my um, my final job in that industry was at GE Aircraft Engines. And, you know, while it's a fascinating industry, it was just too specific for um, for my mind. I, I wanted to do something that had more broad relevance and impact in my particular career. So you did work in the industry for a little bit. I did. I worked at GE. I, I worked at NASA for a bit as well, um, but never found that the the specific day to day really struck my passion. Did this did this, do you think, start to emerge even while you were in school or it was it not until you were actually in in working in the industry that it started to hit you? You know, um, one of my best friends while I was still in grad school getting my aerospace degree, uh, said to me that I would be a good business person. Um, it's funny that it, that had absolutely never crossed my mind. Um, my mom was a real estate agent and my dad was in government for 30 plus years. And so, you know, being in business, especially the way I am today, um, was just not really part of the equation. Uh, but once he said that, I actually enrolled in my first business class. And it was at that point where I started realizing that there's more opportunity. The world is larger than what I had initially focused in in aerospace. So your parents are thinking or telling everybody, our son, the rocket scientist, and now he's doing something in retail that we don't understand that that has to have been uh, quite a conversation there with them. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say so. But uh, but maybe the other way around. I, I think they understood less of what I was doing in aerospace Good point. than we do in retail today. Good point. Uh, this at least is an industry for which everyone has experience. If you've ever shopped, and I think that's everyone, uh, you at least have some intuition for how this industry operates. So when you made the shift over into retail, nonetheless, you were working for others was it around that time, though, that you're thinking I might want to do my own thing? Or when does that start to enter the picture? Well, I've, I've also always been entrepreneurial uh, at really every phase of my journey, both in school and since graduating. Um, I'd been uh, interested in entrepreneurship. Um, even in high school, I started little online businesses uh, when the Internet was first emerging in the early 90s. Um, I remember in in college, I would apply to business case competitions mm. to start up businesses. I'd sit down with friends and brainstorm ideas for what we could start together. And then when I was in the working world, I, I would be what some people call an entrepreneur. I, I um, built new products, new offerings, both in consulting and, and since then. So I've always had the itch and the interest, uh, but this is the first you know, full-on business that I've had the opportunity to build. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and then how, how did you come to, because uh, you have a co-founder, so how did that come to happen that you started it with a co-founder? That's right. Yeah, his name is Wilson Griffin. Um, we met during my days at the Retail Industry Leaders Association. You mentioned earlier, that's a trade association that represents larger retailers mainly in the U.S., 
And Wilson at that time was working for a retailer. He was working for Gap. So I'd known him for several years. We'd interacted a good amount. Uh, but interestingly, once I started on my journey of entrepreneurship, I um, I posted something on LinkedIn. Hmm. He happened to see that and respond to it and said, hey, I've I've been interested in entrepreneurship as well. I want to start something too. So we struck up a, a series of conversations. And surprisingly, maybe interestingly, we both came up with almost the exact same idea at the same time. Really, I remember I, I shared uh, some slides of what I was considering and he shared um, uh, a, um, a use example of, of what he was considering. And I turned to him and I said, I, I could have written it exactly how you put it down. Wow. We had the exact same idea. So you definitely connected on that vision and then um what else do you think is critical to, as you advise others that might go into partnership with the co-founder, what, what else would did you consider that led you to say, yes, this is somebody I want to go into business with? Well, first of all, I think it's very important that you find someone who you've known for a while. Uh, I just can't imagine having gone on this journey with someone for which we didn't have an existing relationship. Second, as I think about what we've now done together, uh, the root of it and the very beginnings when we did first decide to work together came from what I would define as just a very methodical approach. He was methodical. I was methodical. We put together a, a list of what our respective responsibilities would be, how we would define the equity compensation and vesting between us. You know, there's there's so many little and big things that you need to consider as you're going into business with someone. And I just appreciated that he had such a methodical approach mm -hmm. for that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I, I've seen that that approach is valuable time and again, um, throughout all the ups and downs that we've had over the last several years. Sure. Yeah. You both probably are very analytical, obviously mm -hmm. your engineering background and, and that, that leads to it as well. Okay. So, so you both had this idea, but what, let's go back a moment. What do you think led to Obviously, you're in the retail industry. You're doing this kind of research and work. So tell me about what leads you to think that this is a need that the market has and that it addresses this broader issue of reuse of clothing because there's so much waste in the fashion industry. But tell me the story. How did you get to this idea? Well, you know, we we talked a lot about my early days um, in uh, aerospace, uh, but I did in 2006 and 2007 begin to transition into a new career in sustainability. Mm. Um, and it was actually based on a book that I had read called mm. Cradle to Cradle. Um, if anyone's come across it, it's very worthwhile read, especially for someone who's interested in the environment, sustainability, and, and also the intersection with, uh, with business. Um, but that really got me excited about this next phase in my career. And and so when I landed at the Retail Trade Association, my first role there was in sustainability, um, helping retailers become more sustainable. That was in 2010. 
And over the course of the mm. eight years that I was at Rila, I saw the growth of third-party resale marketplaces like ThreadUp, The Real Real, Poshmark, eBay, of course, Depop. You know, there's there's so many. And and over that time, they they made it cool to buy secondhand first. Yeah. So there's this whole generation of of businesses that started around the time that I got into this industry that grew to become multi-billion-dollar businesses off the backs of the retailers and brands that I was working with. And so, you know, I, I got excited about the idea that a market is forming, that there's true consumer demand for products that are more sustainable, i.e. Uh, through resale. So it was really that that ultimately brought me to this idea. Do you think it's a trend that uh, is more than just a trend that's here to stay as a, as a way of consuming, especially for the younger generations? Absolutely. I, I don't see how it's anything but that. Um, there's two reasons in particular that people are excited about buying secondhand. The first is, of course, it's more affordable. You can buy secondhand items for a uh, lower price than if you get them new. But second is that it's more sustainable. And it's clear that with each subsequent generation, sustainability is becoming more important. Uh, and the affordability component certainly relates to the economy of today. And I imagine uh, for several years into the future, but especially given that it's just much easier than it ever has been to shop secondhand. Uh, I certainly see it. It's going to be here to stay. Yeah, no, I agree with you. As I mentioned, my daughter, her business called the vintage individual. The other component I think that obviously you're seeing is the uniqueness of it. So people feel like they can walk away with something that not everybody else can just grab off the rack. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, okay, so from that time when you two came together, you and Wilson came together, you saw that you had a very similar idea from about that to launch. What, what period of time are we talking about there, more or less? Well, this was the beginning of 2020. Uh, he and I struck up our weekly conversations at that point. He was still working. I had already left my job to pursue this idea. And... Um, that was actually right around the time my first son was born as well. Wow. Okay. So, and it was a, a confluence of a lot of things going on at that time. Uh, of course, the pandemic um, as well. But when we finally came up with the idea, like the idea that we were really confident in, it was after a number of conversations with brands that we had known, brands that we had met uh, recently, we found an engineer to develop the first product, and um, that launched about eight months later. So in sum, it was about eight months from wow. from from finalizing the idea to actually launching it. Very fast, very fast. So you quit your job. You had a child either on the way or just born. The pandemic is happening so how did you make the crazy decision that you that we, I'm assuming you're at a point financially? where you could take that kind of a risk. Yeah, yeah. I I feel very fortunate that I was. Um, I had made a decent salary before. And uh, frankly, I'm the type of person, even though I'm, I'm in the retail industry, I just don't shop. So um, I was able to save in my single days. I met my wife and we had at least enough of a financial cushion to spend a year or so before drawing a salary. And I got to think she was supportive. She was in agreement with making this this move. 
Very much. I mean, I think she'd always seen my interests in uh, entrepreneurialism and wanting to start something. So she knew it was a matter of time, only a matter of time before I was going to scratch that. Now that you're a few years into it, Adam, what what is it? What does it satisfy for you? What does it give you to be a business owner, an entrepreneur? This might relate to uh, how I grew up and my interests in engineering, but I've always been a builder. I love building things. You know, when I was young, it was Legos. Um, when I was in front of my computer, I taught myself to code. And even though I, I haven't maintained that skill set, I just love the idea of building things. You know, it's so nice after a month or a year to look back and say something that didn't exist now exists because of what I was able to do. Yeah. And, and in, as a business owner, you have a lot of, uh, you don't have a lot of boundaries on what you can build or how you build it. You had made the the point earlier about in the aerospace industry, as an example, I think it happens in any corporate environment, you're kind of boxed in, right? You play one small piece and a much bigger puzzle. You wanted something much more where you could make a much bigger impact. And I'm, I'm thinking. Yeah, my, exactly. I, the, the way I would describe it is that the role I like playing is the big picture role. It's hard for me to sit down and work on one optimizing one specific cog of a much larger project. I'm the type of person that likes to envision the future we can build, the product that we could create, a, a new offering that we could launch, and then working with the team to create that. So is Wilson, is he more of an implementer or integrator, or do you have a key team member that plays that role? My role is the chief product officer. So I oversee uh, the the vision for the product and what it is that we're trying to build over the next three to six months, and then translate that vision to our engineering team, who are the ones that actually build it. Uh, Wilson, on the other hand, is as the CEO, he's really the the primary external face to the business. So um, he works with our investors, uh, advisors, and others to you know bring them along in this journey and get the support and resources that we need to continue to build. And who's leading sales, sales and marketing? It's well, you know, this is still a small team. Sure, so yeah, yeah. Uh, certainly founders are very involved in all of the sales conversations we have from the beginning. But we also have a great director of business development. Her name is Gina Letta, and she's been with us for over two years now. She comes from the retail industry and resale as well. Um, so she's been a, a key component of how we've grown this business over the past several years. This is Henry Lopez with a brief break from this episode to share a special offer from our new show sponsor, Relay. Relay is an online banking and money management platform for small business. As a small business owner, you need banking that's truly built for your small business. No more fees, no minimum balances, no more bookkeeping problems come tax season, and no more branch visits to complete basic banking tasks. Now you can take control of your money with Relay, an online banking and money management platform that puts you in complete control of your cash flow. First, there are no account fees, no overdraft fees. 
and no minimum balances, which means you get to keep more of your hard-earned money. And Relay is the official banking partner for Profit First, so you can set up multiple checking and savings accounts and automate their percentage-based allocations using smart transfer rules. Relay also allows you to make unlimited payments via ACH, wires, or checks, earn interest on every spare dollar with Relay savings accounts, provide secure read-only access to your accountant and bookkeeper, and speed up bookkeeping with reliable bank feeds that sync directly into QuickBooks Online and Xero. Best of all, it takes less than 10 minutes to apply online and it's absolutely free. And as a special offer to the How With Business listeners, sign up for Relay using the link on the show notes page for this episode and you'll also get $50 added to your account once you fund your new account. You can find the link to the show notes page in the description for this episode. Relay customer deposits are FDIC insured through their partner bank, Thread Bank, member FDIC. Please see the show notes page for this episode at thehowabusiness.com for more details. All right, let, let's do uh, the next layer deeper dive on what this solution is. So, Let's start at a high level again and summarize what does Recreate do? How does it work? Explain that to us to the next level of detail, if you would, please. Of course. Uh, so we're a technology provider, basically software, online software that integrates with e-commerce websites. So if you think about your favorite e-commerce website, maybe that's Steve Madden or Michael Kors or um, another uh, favorite brand that you go to, um, we power a new experience directly on that website. And the experience is to buy and sell secondhand items. So if you have a secondhand handbag from Michael Kors, for instance, you know, you, you bought it from their store, you bought it online, and you're no longer using it, you can go back to michaelkors.com, you can list it for sale, and then that will appear on their website, someone else can come along and buy it off of you. So you can think of it like, a mini eBay directly on that brand's website. And that model is what you call peer-to-peer, -peer, right? On, on That's correct. Peer-to-peer -peer okay. or customer-to-customer, -customer, exactly. Mm -hmm. It goes directly from the first customer, we call them the seller, to the, the next customer, we call the buyer. So if I was an e-commerce retailer, you're you're providing me that plugin, for lack of a, a more eloquent definition, that has mm -hmm. all of the algorithms, all of the technology to facilitate that transaction. Exactly. And to power that experience on the website so that there's a listing form and um, the ability to modify listings, you know, all, all of those programmatic elements that customers would need both to buy and sell those secondhand items. Then you have the take back model. So explain that. That's right. So uh, we have found that some brands are interested in opening up their stores to take back items. Again, let's just think about Michael Kors for a minute. If you have a secondhand Michael Kors handbag that you're no longer wearing, you could list it online for that peer-to-peer -peer experience, or you could bring it back to their store. If you bring it back to their store, then you could get some instant credit, and then we would list it on their resale site. Now, not every brand likes to do that, mm -hmm. but the brands that do have found a lot of value because it's driving traffic to their stores. Yeah. And then there's, a, you, you call it the brand supply, but, but explain that model, which is a, another variant. Exactly. These are all different flavors of what we call more generally branded resale. 
uh, in the brand supply model, we've found that some of the retailers that we work with have come to us and said, hey, we have some excess inventory from prior seasons or slightly damaged returns. You know, maybe there's a, a Steve Madden pair of sneakers that was worn once before it was returned. So mm -hmm. they can't restock that and sell it as new. So they asked us, well, can we list those on our resale channel? The goal, of course, is to monetize them because otherwise they're either liquidating those items or in the worst case, disposing of them. Not an ideal solution. And in some cases, they're even paying for that. Uh, so we said, yeah, of course, let's try it. And we did started that last year. And, and what we found is that not only is it a great way to monetize those items because they can sell them for in some cases, 80% of the retail value, but it's also a great way to double the GMV of their resale programs almost overnight. The GMV stands for? Gross merchandise value, basically the, the value of the items that sell through their resale channels. Got it. Now, across all of these variants, Adam, is, is the component of authentication of this item, the the actual uh, condition of the item. So do you offer a service there as well, or is that up to the retailer? That's a great question. And that was honestly one of the first things that we thought about when we started this business. You know, like I said, both Wilson and myself come from retail backgrounds. And we knew that if we were going to enable this experience on brands stores, it has to be significantly elevated from what you see in third-party marketplaces like mm -hmm. Poshmark and eBay. And so that manifests in several ways. One is just the visual aesthetic of these experiences. You know, the pictures, the imagery, the descriptions, the filtering, et cetera, they all have to be on par right. with those brands' e-commerce websites because there's a reputation they need to uphold. But then also... It relates to the the quality and authenticity of the goods that are actually being listed and purchased through the resale program. So absolutely, we thought about that since day one, and we've built a number of features into our core offering that enable um, authenticity, uh, authentication of the items that are listed for sale. So explain to me at a high level how that works. Do these items come physically to a location that you operate to do that step? So with regard to proxy authentication, there's several elements built into the product. The first is that you can only list items that you've previously purchased because we have access to your purchase history. Right. So if you have a Steve Madden pair of boots, you can go back to Steve Madden's website, log in, you'll see your purchase history and you can select that item. Uh, you have to provide imagery, of that item, mm -hmm. as well as a brief description. And then that listing will come to recurate and we will actually review that listing against the brand's SOPs, standard operating procedures, uh, certain elements. So we look at your pictures, the pictures of the item that you posted. In some brands, we ask for uh, a serialized serial number or something sure. like that that can further authenticate. And then in addition to that check, the final check is at the end of the process, once the item's sold, we email the buyer and we ask them to confirm the condition and authenticity, uh, authentication of the item. So in that particular case, we don't actually 
touch the item, but we no, have nor the, does the retailer. So there it is truly peer to peer that you're facilitating. I have the boots. I'm going to send them now to the new buyer. You'll check with that buyer to say, Hey, was it good? Exactly. So we have several elements built into the whole end to end process that can check. And again, that's why we call it proxy authentication. We're not mm -hmm. physically touching the item, but, but that does help ensure the authentication of, of the pair of boots that you're receiving. And then, so then are there other levels where you do provide the physical authentication or is that how it's done is by proxy? Exactly. We have two other forms of authentication as well. So different brands require different levels of sure. authentication. Sure. The, yeah. the second is what we call remote authentication. Some brands are now uh, building in digital IDs. They're basically um, serialized QR codes into each individual item. And we have several partnerships that enable us to read those QR codes and match them to that specific item. So that is uh, a way we can remotely confirm authentication. And then the final is what you described earlier on, physical authentication. Now, the brands that we work with today don't require that, but we I do see. have partners that will be able to collect inventory and use um, experts to authenticate the items before they're listed for resale. I got to assume then that those levels are part of what then influences the cost of this, of your technology for each of these clients, right? That's one of the components I'm assuming. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, one of the things that we are really here to do <clears throat> is to reduce the costs uh, associated with building a resale program. So Recurate is uh, digital only. We're asset light. We don't collect any of the inventory to your point. And that is how we're able to maintain very reasonable fees. Mm -hmm. uh, but if a brand does require physical authentication or just generally the physical collection of goods, then there's an additional cost built into the model that uh, that would fall back on the brand's. Excellent. So ideal clients, you've kind of given me some examples, but how would you describe the ideal client at this point with the, the current offering? Who's the ideal client for Recurate? You know, it's interesting. When we first started this company, we had a, a very specific idea of our customer profile, you know, who we were trying to target. Sure. The brands. Um, but as we got farther into this, we realized that it is a much wider target list. Um, every time someone asks me if a brand would be good to own their own resale program, the first thing I do is go to eBay and just search for that brand. Mm, and inevitably, you're going to find hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands, if not more products being bought and sold for that particular brand. And, and so that that's usually the best indicator for whether or not it's um, a strong program. What we tend to say is that brands that sell more than $10 million dollars uh, online of uh, inventory each year um, or uh, brands in certain product categories, certainly fashion that includes apparel, handbags, footwear, accessories, etc. cetera. Uh, but sporting equipment, outdoor gear, kids and baby toys, you know, there's a number of categories for which there's already very vibrant resale markets. And those are the ones that we tend to target. Right, right. That's, that's the greenfield there. And there's no doubt. But it's, it's, as I'm thinking about this, and I've thought about it before, certainly this is not new to you. I got to think this is an opportunity also for these brands to take some control over this resale market that's happening, whether they're engaged or not in it, right? 
Well, exactly, Henry. That's exactly how we describe it to brands, and and that's how they see it themselves. When they go to third-party resale markets, like the ones that we've been talking about, and they search for the brands themselves, they're not very excited about no. how their brands are pro- all kinds of brand online. dilution going on there. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you know, as 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 a brand, any consumer brand, you're really trying to maintain an image. But if you go to these third-party marketplaces, you have no control over that. The imagery is poor. The descriptions are inaccurate. Sometimes the sizing is also inaccurate. And so it's just a poor reflection on the brands. And they want to take more control of that, not to mention to own the customers that are buying their products in places that uh, for which they have no control. Of course. All right. A couple of questions back to the beginning. How did you fund the, the initial launch? Yeah, um, I went around to former colleagues, people that I had known and worked with in the industry for a while and scrounged together a few hundred thousand dollars and also got two really great investors that believed in me, XRC Labs being one of them and uh, RevTech Ventures, both of which focus on retail technology. Mm -hmm. I'd known for a little while, um, and they were kind enough and supportive enough in the idea that they believed in it and contributed. So no loans? No loans. No, I didn't get any loans. Oh, ex- so equity equity participation here on these investors? Oh, or they took exactly. some equity? Yeah. It, it was all It was all equity. And, and mm-hmm. to be specific, um, we used the SAFE model, if you're familiar with that. The SAFE so, model. No, explain that to me. It's an acronym. Unfortunately, I, I don't remember what it stands for, but uh, it's basically um, an equity financing model for which you receive the investment now, but it's not a priced round. So you're not actually providing um, equity to the investors until your next priced round. And then at that priced round, the safe note basically converts into equity. So it's advantageous to the investor in that I'm getting the, the strike price at the second round valuation? Yes, and there's a bit of a premium built in for the investor as well. Right, but right. it's you're, also you're giving me that value for, now in the way of an investment for a higher strike price later. That's exactly okay. So, so XRC Ventures was an early player here for you, early partner for you. That's correct. They've been with me since the very beginning. What has been some of the key value that you've received from being part of that program? Well, one thing that I really appreciated about XRC is the strength of their network in this industry. You know, I'd worked in this industry for nearly 10 years at that point, but, you know, as with any industry, it's large. And XRC was just so well connected. They had been focused in retail technology. They had an amazing group of advisors, coaches, mentors, and they really opened up the floodgate. In fact, some of our first contracts were through the relationships that they helped us foster. That's huge. So, because I was going to ask you that, how how did you land those first clients? It was partly through that networking that venture uh, that XRC Ventures was able to facilitate. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then besides that. Uh, you know, we mentioned earlier in this conversation how Wilson and I first came up with the idea. 
it was just by talking, talking to anyone who would hear us. And I think by the end of those early conversations, we had interacted with a couple hundred brands. So once we did finally have the product, we went back out to all of them and um, and pitched the idea of of uh, of launching with them and got a handful of early brands through those relationships that we had built. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Quick thank you to Amanda Hodge. She's the uh, director of public relations at XRC Ventures, who facilitated this conversation uh, with Adam. All right. Uh, we'll start to wrap it up. What, what's what's next for Recurate? What, what's the what's on the horizon? You know, we started this business um, with a vision that every e-commerce brand is going to own their own resale channel, what we've been talking about. I still so strongly believe in that vision. And I think the key to achieving it is to make it easy for brands to launch. And so we have been meticulously focused, especially this year, on rebuilding our product from the ground up to make it easy for brands to launch resale pro programs with us. So I think that's really going to be our primary focus. And second to that is just always improving the experience for customers and driving more value to the brands that we work with. Fantastic. Adam, I'm always looking for a book recommendation. You mentioned Cradle to Cradle. I'll put that on the show notes page. Is there another book that comes to mind that you would recommend? There's a business book that has been just absolutely foundational to how I think, um, both as a business leader and also a, a product builder. And that book is The Fifth Discipline by Peter Senge. Um, it's based on systems thinking, if you're familiar with that concept, just the recognition that everything is interconnected. People are interconnected. Process systems are all interconnected. And uh, that book really brings to life the interconnections that help build businesses. What do you think you've brought forward to business from your aerospace engineering education? I think what I still really hold strongly is my logical problem solving. You know, inevitably, if you're building a business, you are encountering problems every single day that you need to solve. And that's exactly what you do as an engineer. Uh, you break apart the problems, you find frameworks to identify solutions, and then you execute on that. So that, that I think is probably what, what drives me um, in building this business now. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What, what about from your MBA? How valuable do you think that has been? I think it, it was valuable to me primarily in building a network of others who I can um, who I can talk to. You know, I've I've heard the saying before that um, it's lonely as an entrepreneur, and you know, even with Wilson, he's uh, a, a great partner. Um, I've found that it is so helpful to have a network of friends, people that I got to know while I was getting my MBA that can speak this language and, and understand, even if they're not entrepreneurs themselves, they could, they understand finance, they understand marketing and sales. And, you know, it's just so helpful to have that group that I can bounce ideas off of or vent to or uh, discuss solutions with. Yeah, no, that's huge. And you're absolutely right. I think it is a lonely pursuit. That's the other thing that the, you know, an accelerator program like XRC Ventures brings to the table is that connection with other people who understand either have been through it before or are going through some of the same challenges 
I think that's huge to have as an entrepreneur. Absolutely. All right, let's wrap it up. What's what's one thing you want us to take away from the conversation that we've had? Obviously, we've discussed your launching of Recurate. So from that perspective, launching a business like this, what, what's one thing you'd want us to take away from the conversation? I'd say um, focus on the fundamentals. You know, at the end of the day, a business needs to be profitable. And um, I think even if you get early success with investors and you're able to invest in a team and a product, you have to keep your eye on the ball of um, getting revenues above costs. Absolutely. Well said. Uh, where do you want us to go to learn more about Recurate? You can go to our website at recurate.com, or I encourage you to reach out to me, adam at recurate.com. And it's R-E-C-U-R-A-T-E.com. That's right. And we'll have that link as well on the show notes page of this episode at thehowabusiness.com. Adam, fascinating conversation. Thanks for being so transparent, sharing all of these uh, insights into how you built this. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time to be with me today. Of course. Thank you, Henry, for inviting me to the show. This is Henry Lopez, and thanks for joining me on this episode of The How of Business. My guest today, again, was Adam Siegel. I release new episodes, as I mentioned, every Monday morning. You can find the show anywhere you listen to podcasts, including at The How of Business YouTube channel and my website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.